It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week, we spoke with California Republican Congressman Darrell Issa about midterms, potential GOP oversight of the FBI and DOJ, Russia, Ukraine, and as he just got back from Taiwan, we of course talked about China. We spoke before China's President Xi Jinping met with Russia's President Vladimir Putin in Uzbekistan this week, further cementing their friendship. Issa shared with us that much as Ukraine continues to need weapons, Taiwan will likely end up needing the same. The difference, he says, is Taiwan will be able to pay for the weapons they need to defend themselves against the People's Republic of China. ISA says China is ready to take some kind of action regarding Taiwan, but exactly when remains unclear. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's California Republican Congressman Daryl ISA on the Fox News Rundown Extra. So we know this week, China's president, Xi Jinping, is traveling. It's a pretty big deal as the country has been in, you know, experiencing fluctuations with COVID lockdowns. So this this trip is being highlighted as a pretty big one. He's going to Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Central Asia, and he will meet with Vladimir Putin apparently on Wednesday. I just want your thoughts not only about this kind of of trip at this time and the location, but also your thoughts about the timing. Well, I think at a time when the Ukrainians are beginning to uh, to make real progress of taking back their country, uh, she is the one entity that can supply Putin with the kind of advanced weapons that could even the playing field. And I have no doubt that that's exactly what Putin's going to ask for. At the same time, she is at that point where he's coming up for his re-election, so to speak, there. Uh, And, uh, you know, he is making a strong statement that uh, communism is being reborn again between their two nations. China, as you've seen, as we've all seen, doesn't really like when uh, your colleagues, our Congress members, go to uh, visit Taiwan. We saw Speaker Pelosi go this summer, Senator Blackburn, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. Uh, He specifically went to build relationships with um, uh, suppliers, I guess, as as Taiwan semiconductors setting up shop outside of Phoenix. Um, China reacted pretty strongly, military drills right next to Taiwan. How tense are things right now? Well, I was just in Taiwan. I've only been back in country for two days. And I will tell you that meeting with uh, their president, she is uh, just as tense knowing that uh, she is backordered on the kind of, you know, weapons that they need to defend themselves. But at the same time, she's dedicated to maintaining the freedom that Taiwan enjoys, uh, both uh, in the private sector and, quite frankly, uh they, they have elections that really matter. Uh, the political parties go back and forth, something that doesn't happen in mainland China or a lot of other countries that claim to be democracies. What did you glean from your, your trip there and why did you go? Well, I went uh, with a, a number, there were eight of us, uh, six Republicans, two Democrats, and we were all a defense and foreign affairs people who went there to see what the needs were to maintain a free uh, and independent uh, Taiwan. 
And I think we got a, we got a good feel for their needs and their willingness to to uh, to pay for it. Uh, the other thing that, that, quite frankly, we saw is we saw a country uh, slash you know territory, however you want to refer, that uh, that really isn't trying to break away from uh, uh, from mainland China, but knows that uniting with mainland China would destroy. Uh, the freedom and the independence and, quite frankly, the uh, prosperity of, of Taiwan. And, uh, you know, we got hate mail uh, for doing it. But uh, I think for all of us who went there to support Taiwan, not maybe the same way as Speaker Pelosi did, but with the recognition that over the years it's been Congress that has been the consistent supporter of these people's ability to maintain a level of freedom, something that uh, Hong Kong lost, Macau lost, and uh, if we're not careful, other countries will lose, including Ukraine. Uh, Congressman, we, we've seen Chinese drones flying more often into Taiwan. I don't know if you talked about that with anyone there, but um, the Taiwanese even shot one of those drones down recently. A former Pentagon official Drew Thompson told the New York Times on this issue that Taiwan's army was caught flat-footed, that they're still fighting a 20th century war, and they need to be embracing asymmetric strategies of the 21st century. I, we know President Biden said, I think it was back in May, that we would defend Taiwan. The White House then sort of walked that back a bit, reminded us you know, of, of their understanding of the, you know, the one China policy hasn't changed, in, in our opinion, you know, in the U.S. opinion. But what do you make of all that? And, and what should we do if things ramp up? Are we kind of handling Taiwan the way we're handling Ukraine and, and we're not talking about actually going to Taiwan? I mean, what, what do things look like? Well, uh, Taiwan isn't asking us to defend them. They're asking us to sell them at their cost uh, weapons that allow them to remain free and independent. And as long as we do that and as long as we don't send uh, a green light to mainland China – they will remain free and independent. Uh, that It's that simple. Uh, one of the challenges that I think this administration faces is that they their credibility after Afghanistan and then after that famous 65-minute conversation that President uh, Biden had with, with Putin um, in which he obviously didn't tell him over my dead and bleeding body, over NATO's objections, you will not take Ukraine. Uh, and as a result, Putin thought he had a green light and he went in and I think quite candidly was shocked that the American people and the uh, the NATO allies were willing to supply the Ukrainians the weapons they needed to defend, hold their country and now retake it. I think it was the, um, the end of August, so just a couple weeks ago, uh, Biden administration official NSC John Kirby had said uh, about a cap on Russian oil that they would be asking even those with closer ties to Russia to limit what they're willing to pay for Russian oil, um, you know, the, that we're going to work with nations, even those that continue to buy that oil. If Xi is meeting with Putin this week, is it safe to assume that, you know, China and Russia's no-limit friendship is the priority, not limiting how much they pay for Russian oil? China is an opportunistic uh, buyer. Will they uh, will they observe a cap? In other words, get a discount? Anytime they can, they will. So will India. Uh, but will they buy as much as they can? Of course they will. And this is one of the challenges is we have the ability to lower the global price of oil and natural gas by stepping up our production. If we do that, we deny Putin the kind of revenue that has allowed him to wage war. 
that's what it should be all about. Uh, you want to win a war without firing a shot, lower the value of oil and natural gas and other minerals mm-hmm. coming out of Russia, Loyal, lower Germany and other countries' dependence by pushing hard for our products to go there. Right now, natural gas could be being shipped from the United States in massive amounts greater that would actually limit or eliminate uh, Russia's stranglehold on Western Europe, and particularly Germany, who has gone wobbly uh, on us a couple of times. One more on China for you. I just want your thoughts after coming back from Taiwan. What's your sense of the timeline here? Because as we know, as we've talked about, you know, Xi is going to meet with Putin. And then there was some talk earlier this year that our president, Biden, would be meeting with Xi possibly in November. What is your sense of whether or not that meeting might happen? Are we talking about China doing something beyond what they have done in the next few months? The chances of China doing something are greater than they ever have been before. Many people predicted 2027, 2028 would be when China would mm-hmm. be positioned militarily, building of islands, building of a navy uh, to essentially strangle Taiwan and take it back. And the, the people in Taiwan have been bracing for that for years, for that timeline. That timeline has moved up. The question is, has it moved up to 2022 or 2023? Mm -hmm. And I think that meeting uh, and our reaction will say a lot about it. We have the ability to push that timeline back uh, a considerable ways uh, by give uh, Taiwan that opportunity to buy time. Uh, or we can uh, uh, go wobbly and uh, and lose 80% of our supply of chips and a reliable partner and give China the ability, candidly, to uh, put a stranglehold on technology. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. I want to ask you, you referenced it earlier, um, about what's happening in Ukraine. Russia's president is meeting with Xi at, at an incredibly intense time for him, as you noted, um, that Russia experienced some pretty significant losses, it, it appears, in Ukraine. Uh, pushed out of Kharkiv. Uh, There was a a retreat in the uh, southeast as well from the Izium area. And it looks like it's been a bit more of a struggle, but the Ukrainian forces making some progress in Kherson. Uh, Ukrainian officials say, look, look what we can do with the weapons you give us. So give us more. Uh, The Biden administration and some Republicans, notably um, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, have been pretty intent and, you know, vocal about providing Ukraine with money and weapons. We've seen it. We've heard it. But what should the short term hold, given these Russian losses, as some Republicans have questioned the amount of aid we give? Well, you know, Republicans say they're questioning it. But when we had a vote on $40 billion in aid, only a small amount of which has actually been distributed, uh, it was overwhelmingly in support of Ukraine. So I, I would look and say Congress has spoken. It's spoken pretty loud and clear that it is much less expensive for us and our other NATO allies to supply the weapons to allow the Ukrainians to fight for their own peace and independence than it is for us to do it. Uh, When we look at our annual expenditures in NATO, uh, the fact is Ukraine is a bargain, and I think we have to to think in those terms. Mm -hmm. You know, many, many Americans and many of my colleagues that don't necessarily completely agree on supporting Ukraine, they, they cite 
the trillion dollars we spent in Afghanistan. They cite the $90 billion of equipment that was abandoned. And I, I have to agree with them that that was a tremendous waste of money, perhaps an unnecessary one, but it was one that happened. The difference here is you have a country who is fighting for itself. We don't have to go and lose three or 4,000 troops. We haven't lost a single soldier in Ukraine. The Ukrainians have fought. Uh, Would the Ukrainians pay for it themselves if they could? Yes. Uh, Is a billion dollars a lot of money? Absolutely. Uh, But is it cheap compared to the impact of letting Russia take this country and begin taking other countries like Georgia and beyond? And the answer is it is cheap. At the end of World War II, if we had listened to our many of our generals, including Patton, and made a decision to push Russia back to its historic borders, the Cold War would have been very different than it is. As it was, we didn't push them back. They eventually got nuclear weapons, and they continued to dominate countries like Czechoslovakia, uh, Yugoslavia, and the list goes on, including, uh, obviously, Ukraine. That gave them a great deal of the wealth that allowed the Soviet Union to have the long run it had. Mm. Uh, You know, John McCain famously said that uh, Russia was simply a a gas station looking like a country. (laughs) And, and, you know, it it was a good one-liner. But the reality is if we can deny them the economic growth that they had with the historic Soviet uh, and its satellites, we can, in fact, save money in the long run. I know the Cold War never really ends. The fight against good and evil never really ends. But when you're winning it, it saves money to to hold those territories you have. And that's what we need to do. I was also in Mongolia uh, over the last few weeks. Here you have a country of only 3.3 million people sandwiched between China and Russia. But we have special forces there that they're uh, they've invited there to make sure their military can keep both of those countries from dominating this mineral-rich country. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a small amount of money? Yes. Is it a good investment? Yes. As a matter of fact, any time we do not have countries dominated by, a, 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 if you will, a, a country that is adverse to us, it is in our best interest. That's, that's part of the balance that smart presidents and smart uh, congresses have done for years. Um, I do want to, before I let you go, get political for a minute. We, we do see the, the latest data. I think the Wall Street Journal has a poll. Democrats are doing a lot better than they have been ahead of midterms. Republicans are falling behind. A lot of talk about, you know, maybe Roe being behind that and the Supreme Court's decision. But Minority Leader McCarthy is apparently going to roll out the GOP's commitment to America, I think, early next week. What should that look like? What does the GOP promise to do if they're in power in the House? Well, you know, the the Democrats are running on uh, Trump and the Supreme Court somehow being on the ballot. We're running on Biden and the Democrats' majority being on the ballot. That means that high gas prices, inflation, runaway government, a lack of, of personal freedom, uh, including the freedom to, uh, to control what your children see and do, uh, all of those are on our side. And so what's our initiative about? It's about returning to the American people the power that the Constitution guaranteed them. It's about uh, allowing them to push for the prosperity that, that has been earned by the private sector. Uh, we're willing to have that debate uh, about Biden's failures, about the Democrat majority, including Nancy Pelosi's failures and their wastefulness. 
Uh, and we're going to have to answer uh, a simple question. Is the Supreme Court on the ballot? Is Trump on the ballot? Mm. The answer is no, they're not on the ballot. Uh, no member of the House has any control over whether President Trump runs again. No member of the House has any control over uh, what the Supreme Court does. The reality is we are looking at the kind of personal liberty and states uh, controlling their destiny and, and parents controlling what their children do and see uh, in school. And we think that that's not only winning, but we see it in the polling uh, as Hispanics and other minorities are looking to the Republican Party for the prosperity in their future. Congressman, th- those things might not be in, on the ballot, but as you are on House Judiciary as well, I, I know that 18 House Republicans uh, told U.S. Attorney General and the and FBI had Chris Ray to preserve documents relating to the Mar-a-Lago search. Um, so... I understand there's some talk that that's a signal about GOP plans if they take power in the House, um, you know, to to do something regarding oversight of those agencies. So even if they're not on the ballot, you guys, some Republicans at least, and your colleagues on judiciary are talking about making that an issue. What sort of oversight would we see? uh, Well, you're going to see oversight for the first time in two years. Uh, the fact is, Republicans, and I'm the former oversight chairman, and serve on judiciary and support the fact that we've got to find out the basis under which I, you know, when I uh, chaired oversight, one of the things I was in charge of was the National Archives. I'm acutely aware of the responsibility to make sure that a an original or a copy of every document or of an administration, not just the president, but famously Hillary Clinton's emails, belong in the National Archives. And, and I support that and, and certainly would not support anyone leaving uh, documents that would not be available to the National Archives. But there is no criminal penalty for, uh, for not delivering every paper. And the idea that they went in uh, aggressively and then the story kept changing as to why they were going there. Of course we want to look at that. We want to know why in July when they were in there and looked at these documents – they didn't assert and take documents at that time if they felt genuinely they represented a national security threat. We want to know why they're reluctant to have a special master and continue to appeal it. Uh, But there's a lot more we want to know. You know what? Candidly, we're going to want to get to the bottom of the the failed decision uh, when we left Afghanistan and what the impact is. And we're going to want to understand Uh, why they continue to not support protecting our borders and continue to say the border is secure when the highest level of fentanyl deaths ever, well, let me rephrase that, there will be over 100,000 fentanyl deaths this year if we continue at the runway we're going. These are things that we need to look at their policies and procedures because that's Congress's job. It's not just to write a check. It's to make sure that the check is well spent. California Republican Congressman Daryl Issa, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. 
I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.